0: Well, growing up, it was a rare thing for my siblings and I to enjoy what we called sugar cereal. My mom wasn't a fan. But every now and then, a grocery run would yield a box of, say, Honey Nut Cheerios, and we would rejoice. But our joy was turned to dismay when we would find the next morning to find that the Honey Nut Cheerios had been mixed with the regular Cheerios. <laughs> Sometimes at a ratio of two boxes of regular Cheerios to one box of Honey Nut Cheerios. My mother is known and was known for being adamant against wasting time, wasting money, or consuming too much sugar. And when she felt like we were giving in to the lure of any of those things, we would hear about it. And I still do. (laughs) Just this week, I got a text from my mom, which read the beginning of it, if you want some unsolicited advice, (laughs) we don't think you should, dot, dot, dot. And then the text ends, of course it's up to you guys. And then I quote, suffering can perfect one's character. That's how she ended the text. (laughs) My mom was never afraid of us facing a little suffering or hardship if it meant that it would shape our character and give us a steadfast heart, particularly for us kids. And for that, I'm forever grateful. But we don't always appreciate it, do we? We don't always appreciate the words of confrontation, even when it comes from a loving mother, maybe even especially when it comes from a loving mother. We tend to harden ourselves against Confrontation or just avoid it altogether. Often with my mom, I'm prone to dismiss her words of advice or her confrontation with, thank you, mom, I'll keep that in mind. Like my mom, God isn't afraid to confront us with truth. But God in His Word, doesn't confront us with the dangers of Honey Nut Cheerios. God's warnings concern heaven and hell. Eternal rest lies in the balance. So are you ready to hear an intense warning on Mother's Day from God's Word? Or... Is your response to confrontation usually already determined? You you find yourself hardening your heart to avoid conviction, challenge, or warning, because it makes us feeling vulnerable. We don't like to feel criticized. I know that's often my attitude towards not just my mom's confrontation, but confrontation in general. It's no different when it comes to God's Word. All this brings us to our second sermon in the warning passages from the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is a first century letter and sermon. Yes, the book of Hebrews itself is a sermon to Jewish Christians. The sermon of Hebrews was written to encourage these early Christians to not give up, to press on in their faith, not abandon their faith in Christ, but to press on in faith. Hebrews encourages us to keep running the race that is marked out for us until we reach the finish line of eternal rest. The five warning passages, the five warning passages, so we have five sermons in this sermon series, punctuate the book of Hebrews' argument to not give up, uh, to not commit apostasy, which is abandoning our faith in Christ. The book of Hebrews warns us of the consequences if we were to abandon Christ. So I've entitled this five-part sermon series, Don't Stop. And today's sermon is entitled, Don't Stop Believin'. Michael was bold enough last year to sing R.E.M. It's the end of the world as we know it. I will not be so bold to sing Journey. <laughs> Unless I get a hold of that feeling. I don't know. We'll see. So I'd invite you now to turn to Hebrews 3.7. Hebrews 3.7, it's on page 1062, 1062 of the Black Pew Bibles. You will be helped in the sermon. If you follow along, uh, I'm not going to be reading the entire text, so you're going to be wanting to be looking at the text. Again, page 1062, we're going to pick things up in Hebrews 3.7. If you're brave enough to pay attention to the sermon, I pray that the Lord would be, even now, softening your heart to receive what he has to say to you by his Holy Spirit in God's word. The true eternal rest that is promised hangs in the balance. So here's my main point. Don't stop believing to get the best rest. Don't stop believing to get the best rest. And I have two points. Be warned. <laughs> the first one's much longer. Don't stop Believe in to get the best rest. Point number one, don't stop believing. Look at verse 7. Therefore, the word therefore takes us back to Hebrews 3, particularly verses 1 through 6. There you will see the argument that Jesus is better than Moses. Why? Moses was a servant in God's house. Jesus is the son over God's house. Then we have in verse 6. Look at verse 6. And we, Christians, are that household if We hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. But there's a problem. The confidence and hope that we have as Christians, that confidence can wane. As we thought about last week in Hebrews 2, we can drift spiritually. We are like Elsa from Frozen. We tend to let it go. All because of a bad heart. Bad heart condition. Notice three times in Hebrews 3 and 4, we are told, Do not harden your hearts. It's like the chorus of this text. We have it in 3.7, 3.15, chapter 4, verse 7, and it's alluded to throughout. This warning to not harden our hearts is similar to that warning that we considered in Hebrews 2 last week, but just coming at it from a different angle. So let's dig in. Look at verse 7 again. As the Holy Spirit says, and then we have this long quote from Psalm 95. Our brother Anthony Locke just preached on Psalm 95 just a couple of weeks ago, I think it's interesting that Psalm 95 is attributed to the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit says. Yes, the Holy Spirit speaks in the Old Testament, uh, just like He does in the New. In fact, we know from Hebrews 1:2 that the final and definitive way that God has spoken, the Holy Spirit, is in His word. In the Bible, in the Old and New Testaments, we have the word of the Holy Spirit, which is seeking to cast a spotlight on God, the Son, the word of the Son. Why does the Holy Spirit do this? What's his purpose? To melt our hearts so that we might hear and believe. Uh, isn't, Isn't that what we see in verse seven? Look at verse seven. Today, if you hear his voice. So let's all of us do ourselves a favor. If we want to be on guard against spiritual drift, if we don't want our hearts to let go of that confidence, Hebrews 3, 6, that we have in Christ, let's ask God to give us ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Yes, in the Old Testament. Yes, in the New Testament. Together, I I mean, God could have used any means he wanted to, to, to speak to us or to affirm the truth of what we believe. He could have given like Christian superpowers when they were converted, or each day he could have written his, um, a message for all to see in the clouds. Um, but the Holy Spirit knows the best way to soften hearts and to affirm truth in our hearts, and it's through God's word, even in the Old Testament. So listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us today, picking it up in verse eight. Do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. The rebellion is not referring to Star Wars. The rebellion is when the people of Israel tested God in the wilderness, with their complaining, their rejection of Moses, as their leader, Vani read to us earlier from part of that section. They broke the 10 commandments, they didn't keep the covenant that God made with them at Mount Sinai. Uh, their actions and lack of obedience gave evidence to the state of their hearts. And because of the sin of this, what we'll call the wilderness generation of Israel, God swore that they would not enter his rest. You see that in verse 11. What is the rest? Well, the rest is the promised land of Canaan. Uh, Because Israel broke the covenant, God was angry with that generation, apart from Joshua and Caleb, they didn't get in. They didn't enter the land. You know, even though those of us who grew up in the church, we know this story, um, it should still surprise us. Uh, Look down at verses 16 through 18. I'll read for us. For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? With whom was God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? You know, if any generation was going to believe God's word, you would think it would be this generation. I mean, think about what they experienced. They were the first to experience the Passover. Earlier, they had seen the 10 plagues. They literally walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. They saw their their pursuers perish. They felt the ground shake as God came and descended on Mount Sinai. So what was their problem? Where did they go wrong? Verse 19, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. You know, I think so often in the Christian life, we think in terms mainly of outward behavior. And yet this verse gets right to the heart of the matter. Disobedience stems from a heart that doesn't trust God. God's word. Disobedience stems from a heart that doesn't trust God's word. Israel did not believe that the best was yet to come, even though God said it was. And even after they saw everything that God did, they looked back on the meat they had in Egypt, the leeks in Egypt, and they disdained God's promise. They were uncomfortable in the wilderness because of the hardship that they experienced in the wilderness. They doubted that God, God's word was good for them. They doubted that God was leading them someplace better because of their, their suffering. Yes, they believed in God. They believed that he was real. They, they saw the pillar of fire and cloud that was leading them. But when it came to God's word, Yeah, it wasn't working for them. Interesting story about Israel and their beliefs. So what? What does this have to do with us today? Well, look at verse 12. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. To turn away from the living God suggests that at one time you were turned towards him. And I assume that's many of us here. At one time, your heart, your life was characterized by a love of God's word. You were hungry to get in the word. Then maybe life got busy. You developed other priorities. Maybe life got really hard. And while you may still go through the motions, I mean, you're here in church today. Something changed. Does this describe anyone's experience here today? Hebrews warns drifting Christians who have developed this heart condition that undiagnosed and untreated will develop into the disease, evil and unbelieving heart, that turns away from the living God, verse 12. You know, someone who's suffering a heart attack doesn't take comfort that, well, when I was 18, I had a really healthy heart. Yet as Christians, I think we often look back nostalgically. But that doesn't do us any good today. Israel's past didn't help them. Yeah, they celebrated the first Passover. They had it all. They were the greatest generation but a whole lot of good that did them in the end. Again, as Bonnie read us from Numbers 14, their corpses fell in the desert. Skip forward to verse 14. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. For Christians, the reality that we had at the start is the gospel. It's the gospel. It should amaze us that those like, people like us who have hearts that were at once completely hardened to God and the gospel, that we would become participants with Christ. Another way we could say that is companions of Christ. Now, consider Jesus's heart towards us when our hearts were hard or maybe our heart this morning. This is Jesus's heart towards you. His heart is gentle and lowly, full of compassion and love. You may have, want to have nothing to do with him, but he pursues you. And he went to the cross, just as we've been singing about this morning. He went to the cross as the sacrifice for your hard heart. We doubt and disobey his word, but he trusted the Father. And by his obedience, he was perfected even when it meant his agony and separation. My friends, this is God's heart towards sinners like us, that he would give his life as a ransom for all who would turn from having a hard heart and instead soften their heart to him and trust him in belief. So if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, we are so glad that you are here this morning and this is what we want you to hear. God's heart for you in Christ. Today, our prayer is that you would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you in God the Son. It's the day to embrace the reality that controls all other realities. Today is the day to trade in your hard heart for a soft one. So ask. If if you're not feeling it, you're like, you you can ask God for this heart for a soft heart that responds to the voice speaking to you now in the word of Christ. So we would beg you to to not harden your heart and pride anymore. We would love it if you would talk to someone after the service about what it would look like to hear from God's word. For those who are participants with Christ, these verses are for us. And Hebrews wants us to watch out hold firmly to the end, the reality that we had from the start. But the question is, how? Like, how do we do this? Just keep going through the motions? You know, I, I know my own heart. I know how I can grow weary. Uh, I can get weary of watching out. I, I feel my, my grip on Christ is often slipping. I catch myself listening to the words of this world and the words of my own heart that can drown out the pure message of Christ in His Word, my my heart's like can become like Plato, like left out overnight. You know, you leave Plato out overnight, and it becomes all dry and crusty, and you might as well throw it away. So, will I know the same fate as Israel in the wilderness? Well, not if Hebrews three thirteen has anything to say about it. Look at Hebrews three thirteen. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Without the means of daily encouragement, our hearts will become hard by sin's deception. And daily encouragement is the God-given means to keep us from going into spiritual cardiac arrest. Now, two two examples, Uh, just where I... Just simple examples of where I've been on the receiving end of this daily encouragement. Uh, first, as, as you know, uh, for, well, maybe you don't know, but me and much of the staff, we've been tired in ministry lately, especially coming out of COVID. Um, it can be easy to just want to give up and serve myself. Uh, and someone, at least someone in the church knows this, and they simply texted me this this week. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Do you ever text God's word to people as you're praying for them? Brothers and sisters in the church, do you ever text them and let them know that you're praying for them and encourage them with the best encouragement that you can give? The Holy Spirit speaking in his word. We all need to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us, and we can give that to one another. So why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we encourage one another in this way? Second example, I remember talking to Jeff Chang, a former associate pastor here, uh, once about pastoral care for a family in the church who's no longer here anymore, and I made some assumptions, some speculations about this family that were unkind, to say the least, And Jeff looked at me right in the eye and said, that was wrong to say that. You were wrong to say that about them. Who have you given permission to in your life to speak to you like that? When you say something judgmental, when you gossip, when you don't assume the best of a brother or sister or someone in the world, who speaks to you like that? and if anyone does how do you receive it how would you respond if someone told you that you were wrong today would you defend yourself defend yourself does that defense mechanism just kick in right away no you're wrong i think often we assume that our hearts are fine it's other people's hearts that need to be softened you know the word for encouragement here in verse 13 does not merely mean affirmation Yes, we need affirmation, but it also includes exhortation. Exhortation, speaking the truth in love, confronting someone with the truth that we need to hear. Uh, So brothers and sisters, again, who is in your life, who has this ministry of encouragement, of exhortation, and who do you have this regular ministry to? We need help to not stop believing in the living God who has spoken his word to us in his Son. You know, just imagine running a race like in the forest or through the countryside all by yourself with no mile markers, with nobody running with you, with nothing to quench your thirst and just keeps going on and on. No one's cheering you on. You're just all by yourself. Sounds miserable, doesn't it? For some of us, we're like just running in general sounds miserable. God hasn't called us to this kind of race, brothers and sisters. We run as a team. And he has given us the pure water of God's word to quench our thirst along the way. And we can minister God's word to one another as we run, encouraging, exhorting. When we see someone falling behind, someone drifting off the path, we can come alongside them and remind them of the truth of God's word. We remind them whose team we're on and whose With us, in the race, we're participants with Christ. You know, the God-given vaccine that's always effective against the virus of unbelief is daily encouragement. Just add word. Encourage one another by talking about Jesus, by sharing his word. Talk about heaven and our final rest that we will know with him confess the ways that you tend to drift or ways that you fear maybe your heart is becoming hard and ask one another how you can help them run the race in perseverance. Now, I must say that the reality of God's word and our eternal rest isn't like a silver bullet to make everything wonderful. It doesn't make pain go away. We mourn with one another in times of suffering and trial. Uh, We need to hear from one another that Christ is our companion in the pain. And I say this because I think the times that we're most prone to developing a hard heart are times of suffering, times of trial, when things are uncomfortable, when things aren't going according to our plan, when we feel like, Things have spiraled out of control when we're questioning, God, what are you doing? I think this is when we're most at risk for developing this heart condition of hardness of heart. When we, are, when we tend to drift into unbelief during hard times. Also, I think during times of ease and prosperity. So, in times of trial, in times of ease and prosperity, who is watching out for you? Who are you watching out for? Let's not fall short like the wilderness generation. When things got hard for Israel, their hearts became hard. Let's not have that be us, Henson. So listen up today. Don't stop believing today. Today participants in Christ, are participants in Christ's body, the church, and we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at first by encouraging one another daily, drowning out the voices of the world in our hearts that tell us kind of the same thing over and over again on repeat until it sounds right. Serve thyself, serve thyself, serve thyself. Nope, the church says, serve and listen to the word of Christ how the word of Christ tells us that we must serve one another with this message of hope and grace. So Christians, don't stop believing. Point two, to get the best rest. This is chapter four, verses one through 13. All right, imagine you're a kid about to take a road trip. So kids, you can just imagine this. You're about to take a road trip Uh, to Disneyland for the first time, all right? You're pulling out of your driveway here in Portland. You're so excited, you can't hardly stand it. Uh, You've never been to Disneyland before, but you've heard about it from friends. Maybe you've seen commercials. You've even gotten some promotional flyers in the mail. Uh, After a couple hours on the road, as you're crammed into that back seat, uh, you begin to ask the age-old question, are we there yet? Uh, You're bored out of your mind, uh, it's a device-free trip, by the way. <laughs> and then uh, mom and dad pull off at a rest stop, and they give you some money for the vending machines, right? You got, you got your soda of choice, your candy of choice. And you think, you know, this rest stop isn't bad. It's got, got candy, it's got soda. Maybe we should just stay here. Forget Disneyland. This rest stop has it all. Mom and dad, should we just stay at this rest stop? Is this you and me on our journey to the best rest? What are ways you settle for rest stops on the way to the eternal and best rest? Our short-sightedness, we're like children uh, on that trip. Our short-sightedness should cause us to fear. Look at Hebrews 4one we I'll read verses 1 through 5. Hebrews 4.1. Therefore, Since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short, for we also have received the good news just as they did. But the message they heard did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed enter the rest in keeping with what he has said. So I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest, even though his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. Again, in that passage, he says, they will never enter my rest. Hebrews 4.1, let us beware. You could translate beware also fear. Let us fear. Fear what? What does verse one say? Falling short of the eternal rest that awaits us. Fear being taken in by a dirty rest stop with candy and soda. Hebrews 4.2, for we have also received the good news just as they did. So you see what the author's doing here? He's continuing to compare us or these first century Christians and then us today to the wilderness generation of Israel. We have received the good news of salvation just like they did. They had been saved through the Exodus and they were promised a land of of rest in Canaan. But the message, the promise did not benefit them because they didn't have faith. They doubted God's word. It's too late for them. It's too late for the wilderness generation of Israel, but it's not too late for us. I think that's the point of the following verses, verses 6 through 9 in particular. The author's telling us, a Sabbath rest remains for those who hear his voice today. This Sabbath rest that began since the foundation of the world on the seventh day of creation, God is inviting us into that rest that he's been preparing. And he invites us to listen to his voice today, to look forward, look toward that rest. Today, a Sabbath rest remains for those who don't stop believing. It's a rest from all your works, all your toil, all your striving, all your pain. It's a place that's better than Disneyland, and yet it's hard. It's hard to press on, isn't it? It's hard to persevere and trust in a God you cannot see. It's hard to press on in faith and orient yourself in a world where you have all kinds of messages coming at you all the time. Sometimes everything in us just wants to throw in the towel. Let's just stay at this rest stop for a while. It's not bad. But then God's word comes in. It's meant to jolt us out of our complacency and apathy and short-sightedness. The word is meant to come in today and like pierce our hearts that are starting to harden. Skip down to verses 12 through 13. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I think this, in some ways, is a promise. God's word will have its way with us. On the final day, he will examine us. He will dissect us. He, he knows the intentions of our heart. He knows our motives. So rather than be exposed and be found ashamed on the final day, we're invited to let his word pierce us today. Let the confrontation of the word jolt you out of your spiritual apathy. Uh, on that day, on the last day, we will give an account to him for our hearts and for the works that came out of that heart. So today, let's, well, 411. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. Let us. <laughs> together, make every effort with a holy fear, press on in faith, today. Tomorrow will have enough trouble of its own. Yes, the poles of the rest stops are are strong, it seems like a long journey, but God has given us everything we need. He's given us his word, he's given us Christ's body, the church, that we might run the race together. He loves us enough to warn us of what would happen if we go off the path. Henson, I've seen you making every effort to enter that rest, particularly in times of suffering. When you say, I, I just look around here at the brothers and sisters, when life doesn't go the way that you had hoped, you say, this really hurts But God is in control, and he's leading me home. He's custom-fitting me for my crown through this trial. And that encourages my faith. Hinson, I've seen you make every effort to enter the rest when you're very aware of the various temptations and allures of this world and of our hearts that are prone to wander. When you, when you gather together, when you when you speak the truth to one another in accountability groups, and you ask for help as you fight against sin, you're making every effort to enter that rest so that you don't fall into the pattern, the same pattern as Israel of disobedience. You know, I was having coffee with Bruce Blanchard the other day, yesterday, and he shared with me this Corey Ten Boom quote. Worrying Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength, carrying two days at once. It's moving tomorrow ahead of time. And Bruce went off to talk about how easy it is to be held hostage today by living in the past, nostalgia for the good old days, and then worrying about the future. And then you miss out on today and faithfulness today. I couldn't agree with Bruce more. So easy to get trapped between yesterday and tomorrow. And friends, we're called to do more than what our culture agrees with, like live in the moment. Yes, live in the moment. But we live today in confidence of that great day, of that rest that awaits us. We live life backwards, so to speak. The only thing that is certain is this final rest for those who hold on to the confidence that they have at first. Not too long ago, Michael preached through the book of Ecclesiastes. I was really helped in that sermon. And here's a little book um, called Living Life Backwards by David Gibson, how Ecclesiastes teaches us to live today kind of in light of the end. If you're looking for a book maybe this summer to go through with another Christian, I'd highly recommend this book. I found it really helpful in thinking about how does the final rest, how does heaven that seems so far away impact my day -day, today? This is a good book. We need to export that joy, that rest that is promised to us into today. We allow his word to speak into our hearts so their hearts might become soft in our ease and our laziness and our suffering and our trials. We ask that God's word would have its way with us. So friends, let's keep on running the race that's marked out for us. Let's hear the Holy spirit speak to us in his word today. Let's hold on to the original confidence that we had at first, like Caleb and Joshua. Let's trust that God's word is true and that we can stake our lives on his word. You know, after seeing the promised land, Caleb spoke a word of courage to his brothers and sisters. He said, because of God's promise, he's like, let's go now and take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. God's with us, let's go, God's given it to us. But the people didn't believe Joshua and Caleb. In fact, they, their hearts were so hard, they literally picked up stones to kill Joshua and Caleb. Friends, Joshua still speaks to us today. A better Joshua has come to lead us into this eternal rest. And he speaks now this word from John 14. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. This Joshua spoke of a better rest with him forever. But it's not yet. At least not right now. We still have today. But praise God, he's given us his word to hold on to until that great day. He speaks by his Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit says to us today, do not harden your hearts. So will you strive? Will you make every effort to enter this rest found in Christ alone? Christ who is our rest, will you rest in him today in his promise knowing that his word is so much better than the word of our hearts and the words that the world offers us? Will you leave those rest stops behind? Will you speak the word to one another so that we might not become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin? Will you allow God's word to confront and criticize you, even if it's spoken by brothers and sisters who, of course, are sinners themselves? Friends together, we follow a trailblazer who marks the path to the rest with his blood. His word of promise is enough for us today so that on that great day, we might enter his best rest. So don't stop believing. Hold firmly to the one who speaks to you today. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that our run so often feels like a crawl. We feel weak, and wounded, sick and sore, feel beat up, feel thirsty, oh Lord, but we pray that you would gather us up, that we would come not in our own strength and not seek to run and persevere in faith with any fitness in us, but that we would come weary, heavy-laden, uh, that we would arise and go to you, Jesus, knowing that you will embrace us and that you will carry us. Also, Lord, help us to remember your word. We are so prone to forgetting. We are so prone to hard hearts when things don't go our way. So, Father, we pray that you would have mercy. Show us your grace. Show us the power of the cross, that you would become participants with people like us because of the merits of our great high priest. It's in his name we pray. Amen.